Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Matt Arndt coming to you from Western Ag Life, and this is our first podcast, first episode, and we're looking forward to this series, and we invite all of you to to like and subscribe to our podcast. It's going to be featured on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. So anyway, be sure to tell your family and friends what we're doing, and we're looking forward to uh, capturing these stories and, and interviewing these folks that are so prominent in our Western way of life here in the Western U.S. So our first episode is being proudly sponsored by Cattleman's Weekend, which is going to be in Chino Valley at the Prescott Livestock Auction, March 17th through the 18th. And they're going to feature many fun events and sales up there. Uh, they're going to have uh, the 30, 35th annual Prescott All-Breed Bull Sale and the Arizona Angus Bull Sale. In between the two, they're going to sell about 50 bulls. They're also going to have the uh, ranch replacement heifer and cow sale featuring about 150 females in that sale, which there should, should be something for everybody in there, bred cows, pears, and bred heifers. There's also going to be a really big trade show, multiple vendors, um, Western wear, ranch equipment, animal health, uh, real estate, all those things for your needs, so be sure to check that out. And There's also going to be a team roping this year on Friday with rifles to the winners of each roping. So the flagship event of Cattleman's Weekend is going to be the American West Horse Sale. It's the 25th annual horse sale, and uh, there's going to be all kinds of horses uh, for sale, 52 lots in that sale. They're going to have everything from prospects to finished rope horses to ranch horses, and they're even going to have a mule that you can ride. And so um, our first guest on our podcast is going to be Steve Friskup, and Steve is actually coming in to sell this sale. And Steve is an esteemed um, horse auctioneer really around the country and um, owns his own business, Clovis Horse Sales, based out of Leveland, Texas. And he also um, sells weekly at the Clovis Livestock Auction there in New Mexico. And he also hosts uh, weekly, co- or I think it's daily, Coffee with the Colonel. And that's kind of a daily devotional series that he's really gained a huge following with. So um, anyway, Dean and... Dean Fish and, and Steve sat down, and and we were uh, really fortunate to get to hear Steve's story and kind of what he does and how the horse business has evolved. So without further ado, please uh, enjoy Steve Frisco. I have learned from the fathers, the mothers, and the old ones. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. I have learned from the sisters, the brothers, and the bold ones. Pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on. Welcome to Western Ag Voices. This is a production of Western Ag Life Media. I'm your co-host, Dean Fish, along with Paul Ramirez, and we're here talking to Mr. Steve Friscup. Yes. Did I pronounced that correctly? Yes, you got it right on the first track. All good right, job. very good. Well, Steve Western Ag Voices, we seek to talk about the characters and the people and the stories of the West and the people that kind of make up that rich fabric that we enjoy. You're out there, I think, in West Texas, and we're here today at an auction barn here in Marana, Arizona, and that's kind of what we want to focus on today with you, Steve, is about your career as an auctioneer. But before we get there, tell me a little bit about, I think you were born in Kansas, is that right? Well, I was actually born in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, but I wasn't there very long. And I uh, ended up growing up most of my young life in southern Kansas. My dad bought a community auction, a little livestock auction, in a little town called Meeker, Oklahoma, when I was freshman in high school. And uh, 
ended up selling that, oh, I don't know, 20 years later or something. But that's where I kind of cut my teeth on the livestock auctioneer and then turned into a horse sale thing. And Right. You talked about, or I guess they talked about there in, in Oklahoma, it's kind of where you really discovered your passion and your God-given ability to be an auctioneer and kind of market some stuff. And you started selling rabbits and chickens. Yes, kind of sir. First and yes, sir. What kind of made you want to be an auctioneer? What what drove you to that to that? You know, business? that's a that's a good question because I always kind of had a little knack for it. I've, I really consider what I do a God given thing because I didn't do it on my own, and uh, it was kind of necessary around there because I, I never went to school on a Monday while I was in high school. Cattle auction was on Monday, so every year my dad would have to go tell them that I needed to move up to the next grade because <laughs> I'd, I'd miss too many days. But in the middle of all that, it's kind of funny, Dean. We would, I'd get there and I'd sell some of the junk outside and the chickens like you was talking about. And I'd sell the baby calves. Then I'd have to get down and run the sorting alley until it came time for the packer cows. And so in all that, I'd, it, it developed. And then I've just always had this horse thing going on and thought I wanted to be a horse trainer. Praise the Lord, that got rerouted. And, and right in the midst of all that's when I really got hungry about the auctioneering thing, and especially the horses. And and you did not go to a formal auctioneer school. You just picked it up. I just I just <laughs> opened my mouth and went to mumbling. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and that's, that's, that's it. My dad did go to school. So I followed him around while he was doing all his little tongue twisters and stuff like that. Did Did you have any early influences there that that helped you along, or people that you listened to and said, "Hey, you know, I kind of want to do that," yeah. or pick, pick up those little things? They, Who were some of those guys? Well, there? like when it, when I actually got started was in 1984. John Bowling, who owned Triangle Sale Company. They had just moved to Shawnee, Oklahoma. That was 15 miles south of my home. And they actually showed up one Saturday night for a, we had a horse sale every other Saturday night. And and he came and listened to me mumble, gave me a job. Well, a guy named Eddie Wood was one of his auctioneers at that time. Harold McElrath up in Iowa, they both passed here in the last few years. And uh, they were the two auctioneers. He gave me a job working the ring, and and I listened to those guys. Then later on, a guy named Don Green from Roanoke, Alabama, who I consider the best there was, we we shared we shared the auction block for 25 years. Wow. And he retired several years ago. We're still real good friends and talk on the phone, but he he would be the he would be the one. You, you spent some time in Clovis as well, didn't you? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. still there. We yeah. uh I became part of the Clovis Livestock thing in about 1993 or 94 and eventually ended up moving out here, out there. We live in West Texas, about 30 miles from Clovis. I still auctioneer the cattle sale every Wednesday. Kind of got my own hours now. I don't stay all night. But now, and then I was the horse sale manager for almost 30 years. And then... Now we have moved it to Texas, to Leveland, Texas, during all the COVID stuff. And I now am a partner in that, and we've kind of elevated that horse sale. 
So I'm still real connected Clovis Livestock. Yeah, New Mexico kind of was a little funny last year, and I know there were some livestock shows that had to move over to Loveland yes, and cross the border there to yeah, kind of get like going. completely shut down is right. kind of how that went. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned ringing, you know, and I, I truly think that being a ringman is a good stepping stone or a good, you know, kind of gives you some skills and some different abilities so that when you do get on the block that are useful. What are some of the key things that you think are are key in your career or, or people that you've seen to be a good, successful auctioneer? Well, I think the the main thing above everything else is is a passion for your product, um, especially in the horse industry. Because doing horse sales, it's an emotional thing. There's no blue book. There's no basis. You can't, you know, it's not like – selling cattle every day where you have a basis and so it's it's emotional and so when you when you love your product and you're selling them to people who love your product you have that in common and so you know you need to have a good chant you need to be able to at least count and not screw it up you know but i think the most important thing is is when you connect to people you build an instantaneous relationship and my job is to maximize my product. So if I connect to that guy, I can get that guy to do things that he didn't really plan on doing before he came. And that's my job. Yeah, and you know, and, and both sides of that relationship is important because as an auctioneer, you're working for both the buyer both and sides. the seller. Yep. I mean, you've got to you know get a good price for that seller, and you certainly want to make sure that that buyer is getting good value for what yes. they're – what they're spending as well. And that they understand everything, you know, and, and you know, honesty and integrity is a big, big, big thing. And, uh, you know, and, and here again, it, you know, at the horse sale, I represent the seller, but I also, like I say, work for the buyer. But those relationships, and then 40 years of doing this now, and uh, we've, we've got some amazing relationships and then i've got some amazing relationships with the horses right. you know that's uh, a lot of history there too that's well there, there's a lot of certainly misconceptions about horse sellers and <laughs> horse traders and dan roberts got a pretty funny song about horse trade oh yeah you know and one man's junk is another man's treasure and all exactly. that kind of stuff but you know you're you know dealing a little bit of the higher end of that you know and kind of before we really get into that into the horse part of that which i think is so cool about your career what are some of the changes that you've seen? Now, I know that we've talked about their relationship with the buyer, and there's certain fundamental things that we know are going to stay the same and continue to have to be the same, but what are some of the changes you've seen since 84 when you really started in that auction business? Well, one of, one of the things was, you know, when we came into the horse deal, even even some of the front-end performance horse-type sales were still a kind of a buyer beware kind of a thing. A lot of that's gone away. Now, with the internet, social media, uh, your customer base is such a, a broad circle now and such a broad spectrum. And and so now, just like I've got a sale coming up next week of my own, those horses have been up online now for three weeks. You can call a consigner. We used to hide the phone numbers from potential buyers because the guy would sell them ahead of time, you know, and you know, cheat you out of your commission and the opportunity to sell his horse. Now we're a higher integrity on both sides of the fence. It's a lot better for the buyer 
now you can call the guy. You can go over there. I was I was at a place today that I'm going to sell some horses for him this Friday, and customers were coming in to ride the horses today before we ever go to the auction on Friday, and it just builds confidence in your buyer base, and it makes for a happier customer. And so those are some of the things that that we're seeing now. Plus, <laughs> Dean, if you're gonna if you're gonna charge somebody fifty thousand dollars for a riding gilding. He kind of needs to be exactly what you tell him. Not a lot of reproductibility <laughs> there. Yeah, no. He needs it's this is a quality of life issue. So he doesn't need to buck you off or something. <laughs> right. You know? you know, talking about that, you've seen this market change. Mm-hmm. And you recently sold a horse named Would She Be Magic. You remember what she brought? She brought uh, $1,050,000. And where did where did she go? She went to a, a guy named Billy Wolf and lives over in Texas and He's got a lot of different things going on, but in the cutting horse, wanting to be in the cutting horse business, been in the cutting horse business. So yeah, she too. was a special filly now. Oh, yeah, really for sure. Special. Yeah. For sure. In your wildest dreams, could you ever see some of these horses? Or do you ever think that you, you know, back in 84 when you started or doing those no. Saturday sales, sell a horse for a million dollars, over a million dollars? No, two months before I did that, I was being interviewed by a magazine, and they wanted to know some of the highest horses I'd sold. Well, the highest performance horse that had ever been sold in Fort Worth or any of in this venue was Sly Playgirl, uh, Shy Playgirl, and she had sold back in the day for eight hundred fifty thousand. My friend Don Green sold her. I sold her just back in September. Again, she was seventeen years old. I sold her for half a million. That same day, sold another mare for six hundred twenty-five thousand. I thought, man, it it's this is as good as it gets. So the guy asked me. He said. You ever think you'll sell one for a million dollars? And I said, Nah, I'm 60 years old. I won't live long enough. And obviously, I'm gone three months later. If we didn't sell one for a million dollars, recently there was Cowgirl Cadillacs, mm-hmm. you know, and then Art of the Cowgirl, a couple mm-hmm. sales here locally in Arizona that have identified a niche market for horses trained by ladies for ladies. You know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of another little. You know, I think we're seeing the emergence of some of these niche markets. If yes. I'm correct. And what you're seeing also, especially with the, the the Calgary Cadillacs, is the uniqueness of the horses. You have gypsy vanners, you have half Frisians, um, different types just to fit that unique trail riding, gentle backyard horse, so to speak. But the uniqueness of them, you know, that, that it's like a, an original painting or something. You, you get that one of a kind, you know, and, and you catch the clientele for that kind of market, too. Yeah. Well, following along with that, you know, you're, you're mentioning some of the different genetics that are there and so forth. Do you think the horses are better today or are they different today than they've ever been? They're different. You know, when I started, I'm, I'm a cowboy guy. I, I like cowboy stuff. We, we rope and rodeo and do all that, and so I hang around cowboy guys. Well... The cowboy side of this has developed to fit a more of an urban appetite for the Western way of life, but that takes a different horse. You know, you it's not going to go shap him and buck him out right. <laughs> across the desert for 30 days and then hand him off to some dude. A lot of these horses come out of specified programs, reining horse programs, cutting horse programs. They're, 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 they're raised in confined areas, a lot of them. 
They're very specifically trained, very uh, high level of training coming up through these programs. And these horses, the number one thing a horse has to be gentle in nowadays, and that is that's of the utmost importance because everybody wearing a cowboy hat does not wear britches that will stay on a horse. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, that's a good way, that's a good way to put <laughs> yeah. that. You know, and I, and I kind of wonder about that myself a little bit because I study genetics. And you think about, you know, those horses being gentler and, and you know, the training they go through. Because I know, like, those horses that I've seen, you know, that have been at the higher end of that mm-hmm. market, you know, are not only horses that you go run a reining pattern on, but you can go trail ride on, you know, and I think that versatility we're talking about. But I guess – in your mind, does creating those versatile type horses, is there a genetic component that you've kind of seen, or is there more of training, or is it kind of a combination, combination of both? Combination of both. You know, n- nowadays, there's there's such a cross-section of the genetics when you get, you know, you got the rainers and you got the cow horses. That's, that's your two main arteries into the performance horse industry. Then you have the rain and cow horse, which is kind of a combination of both. All those horses are of a high level intelligence. They're very intelligent animals, and that's just come through genetics. Now we have a whole generation of horsemen and horsewomen who understand that. And you've seen it come through television with Chris Cox and different ones who, who know how to get into a horse's mind. They've trained people how to do that. And so now you have the whole combination. And in our world, Dean, just like being out here in Arizona this week, we have so many friends, a lot of couples that are younger than me that that have developed these programs to, to take one that may not make the NCHA fraternity, but develop that horse into a horse you can team rope on, but yet you can take the bridle off and ride him across the river or go get the cows or take him on trail ride. And he'll be smooth, he'll be quiet, he'll be pretty. He's used the full meal deal because we're fixing to charge you full price. And so uh, these trainers, they're not really, I don't know what you call them trainers, but they just know how to do this with, with the right kind of horse. And so it is a, a combination of the whole thing. Yeah, there's certainly a whole industry that's emerged from those people yes. that have changed the way that we've had. I mean, I know on the beef beef side, I work with the beef quality insurance programs, and we talk about low-stress handling and stockmanship and so forth. But, you know, the horse people have been ahead of us a long time on that. But I think there's a whole industry of people that, that have helped introduce a different way of interacting mm-hmm. with, with animals. They have, and so, so we've seen that change you know just the way that you started two-year-old nowadays as opposed to 50 years ago i mean it's it's evolved into some really unique techniques that bring the best out in the animal and and that's 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 kind kind of of our god-given place you know to bring the best out in creation and the best out in each other and so these guys have learned how to do it yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Well, if you ever get a hankering to see some of those old hammer-headed knuckleheads, you come down to my place. We, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have any, <laughs> any, any of those. So if there's a young person that's um, wanting to get in the horse industry and the auction business, what advice would you give them? Oh, that's that's a good one. You, you know, the best advice for all of them is be willing to start at the bottom. There's so many that go to a school or something and they're just not willing to start at the bottom you know when they gave me my first job 100 years ago 
he asked me to come work the ring. I didn't know second from come here, but I know this much. I was there an hour before anybody got there, and I stayed until everybody was gone. When they come by to give me a break, I didn't want a break. I just want to keep working and till you figure stuff out and, and pay your dues. Pay your dues. The equine industry is tough, tough to get in. We're we're very limited on on opportunities as far as horse sales and auction goes, and COVID-19 didn't help that any. And so you you've got to pay your dues. And if you're any good at what you do, you'll you'll come sneaking up through there. If you're not any good, you you, you wake up one day and you'll be in the same spot you started and <laughs> find something else to do. Right. And in so many words, work ethic is yes. so important for these young people to have. Yes. You know, and I I don't think they forgive any listeners out there that I may offend, but I think that it's hard to get a work ethic if you don't work, you know, and don't have that model in your parents or guardians or whatever. And I think ag, our farms and ranches and, you know, auction barns and those kind of things really instill that in a lot of young people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're very successful because of that. Well, and one of the things that when, when you, it's, it's like college or anything else, Dean, when you take these young people and you begin to educate them on a chant and how to be an auctioneer, well, when you get done with that, you're still not an auctioneer. There's this hands-on thing. It's just like riding a horse. I can teach you how to turn left, right, stop, back up, and make him go forward. I cannot teach you how to feel that horse. And I can't teach you how to feel the crowd. I can't teach you how to engage. So after you learn all the technique, you still got a long ways to go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. so I think sometimes we leave that out. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's very, very accurate. And I think a big part of that, too, is in addition to that work ethic is that passion that, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you really wanted to, you know, you wanted to get in there and sell. I still do. Yeah. 40 years later, man, I crave it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I love it. So I guess looking into your crystal ball, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, do you think we'll still be selling horses by the auction method in 50 years? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I was part of a deal when when Superior Livestock came on board back way back in the day, and I was partners in another outfit out of Amarillo called Satellite Cattle Exchange, and because we engaged in that because we were afraid that the sale barn would be out of business, that one of these days this would be out of business. Right now today in the equine industry, you can't get as much for one at home as I can get for him in the auction. If you want to maximize your product, you need to hire me and and there's somebody like me and bring him to my sale and and we'll we'll show you how to maximize your product. And you know most in eighty percent of the time, ninety percent of the time, not all the time, but the auction way of doing business still engages people in that in the horse side of this. It's an entertainment thing. I mean, there's a lot of people got a prettier chant than I do. There's a lot of people who are way smarter than I am. But I'm pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know a lot about a horse. And so we'll mumble along there and do pretty good. And, and, uh, but people like to come to the auction. That's not, if we don't let it, that's not going to go away. They tried to take that away from us during COVID 19. And we had a lot of people doing online auctions, all those different things. God bless them. Help yourself. But there's still something about coming down there and having the auctioneer pick on you a little or watch them ride them good horses around. 
uh, you'll sit there a little while till pretty soon you've done done something you didn't plan on doing. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. yeah, I've been there. Asked, yeah, asked, asked my buddy Paul. Yeah. <laughs> we've yep. done that even online on a goat auction. But yeah. uh, <laughs> so another story for another day. Well, I I know that your faith is pretty important to you, and you have a, a thing that you started since COVID called Coffee with the Colonel. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, Coffee with the Colonel is about a year old now, and uh, just. Uh, everybody knows. I mean, it's this is kind of like nine eleven. Not as disastrous, maybe to some it is, uh, but in March of twenty twenty, everybody's life began to change. And I was sitting in Arkansas. I'd been preaching over there for about three days, and everybody's in a mess. They're wanting us to shut the churches down. They're wanting us to do, and everybody's upset. And so I just locked myself up with God. And listened for a while and several hours. Pretty soon I had something to say that kind of made sense. So I set my telephone up on the on the nightstand thing and hit the button and started talking. And the next thing you know, there's 50,000 people have listened to that. Through that, people kept wanting to hear a little more. People were hungry for, for just some common sense stuff. And then I told them I'd do a few more days and quit and then next thing you know, people don't want you to quit. And so a year later, five days a week, uh, I do coffee with the colonel every morning. Get up and just give a little something, you know. Uh, I'm a little too political for some people and a little too blunt for others. But for the most part, everybody gets something out of it. And I really enjoy doing it. And and we're sitting here in Moran, Arizona because of it, right? you know. And so here we are. Good. So if someone wants to get a hold of you to either sell their horse or catch the latest coffee at the Colonel, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Steve? Oh, telephone's best, but you can go on Facebook is is a big thing. You can just go to my timeline. Everything's there. I'm also the... That'll be under Steve Friscope. Steve Friscope and then Mule Shoe Fellowship. Um, that's where I lead that little fellowship in Mule Shoe. That's where all this kind of based out of. Mule Texas, and then then the horse sale I own is, uh, you can go to ClovisHorseSales.com and full website on all of that, and uh, if you want to give me a call, I'll give you my phone number. It's 806-786-7539. Perfect. Well, I've sure enjoyed visiting with you this afternoon. Um, Anything you want to add that we may have missed? No, just... You know, one thing about what we're talking about, Dean, just right quick to get us off air, is we're all, whether horse or livestock or whatever, we're all engaged in the Western way of life. The Western way of life is a main artery to the American way of life. And so we have an important job as auctioneers, as representatives of this this lifestyle to maintain and to get the word out. It's one of the proudest things now that people raised on concrete want to buy a horse. That helps our country. Serve God and serve your country. That's all that really matters. So that's all I got on that. Well put, Steve. Well, thank you very much. Thanks again for joining us at Western Ag Voices, a production of Western Ag Life Media. Pass it on. Voices ring true. No greater gift can be given to you. Tales of work and tales of strife. Tell the legend of Western Ag Life.
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to our first episode of Western Ag Life with Dean Fish and Steve Friskup. And this episode was proudly brought to you by Cattleman's Weekend. And we want to thank the folks up there in Chino Valley for supporting us on our first episode. And we were super excited to have Steve as our first guest. And, and with him selling the sale up there, it's it's really was a great thing so anyway we really really appreciate their sponsorship and of course if you guys can continue to tune into our our monthly podcasts we're we're looking always for good reviews and good feedbacks and if you can't leave a good review then just keep listening until you can and we'll we'll take what we can get so we just really appreciate your time and and we look forward to bringing you more of these interviews with prominent people and in, in our Western way of life. So if it's uh, Western, it's us. And uh, we hope to see you down the road.